Hello, and welcome back once again to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. Today, I am delighted to have as my guest, Marcus Hemsley. He is the co-founder of Google's only global award winner for growing businesses online, the Fountain Partnership. Marcus, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Excellent. Marcus, would you mind giving 60 seconds on your background, please? Absolutely. So Marcus Hemsley, founder of Fountain Partnership. We're a strategic digital marketing agency. What makes us different from all the other marketing agencies out there? Well, it's our methodology. So the big thing we want to do is minimize risk and maximize return. So the ways we do that is we minimize risk through accurate forecasting. And then we maximize return on investment through optimizing each stage of the funnel. So obviously, Marcus, you've got lots of people listening who are probably in sales. So we obviously help with sales conversion rate. We also look to deliver the best leads possible for the salespeople by looking at CRM data, because you're well aware, as we all are, that not all customers are created equal. So a lot of marketing, <laughs> yeah, it's a, a good laugh there, but it's true, right? A lot of marketing agencies just want to chuck at a traffic at a website, generate leads and say, hey, look at us, we've done well. But if the salespeople can't close them, that's their problem. Whereas actually we want to look after the entire funnel, cradle to grave, and dial up the most profitable parts of it to maximize the ROI. This speaks to something that frustrates the crap out of me, where I'm going to be absolutely blunt. In my experience, most marketing is largely masturbatory. It's all about vanity metrics and look how uh, many clicks we got, how many views we got. Who cares? If it's not putting money in the bank, then it's not doing its job. And I, I tend to uh, refer to most marketing as marketing morphe. So my, my key question at this stage is why the hell does that persist, given that the evidence is clear that it doesn't work for most people? Help me understand this. Yeah, I think, I'll be really blunt, I think most people get into marketing actually aren't that talented or intelligent. They're extroverted people that like to have a, you know, they got into it because they like the idea of it. It's a white collar service that doesn't actually require much deep thought. I mean, I'm not being entirely fair, there's lots of digital marketing people who like the data. But again, they don't come from a very commercial background. So it's a combination of a perhaps extroverted people that want to talk about brands and ideas and messages that set off their dopamine blasting gets them excited but actually they don't really want to take ownership of the end result you know they don't they never want to pick up the phone and you know do a stint in sales or anything because that makes them more accountable so it's a nice place to hide towards the top of the funnel where it's someone else's problem if it doesn't convert and that's allowed us to come in and take market share because we take a more sales and commercially minded approach this is one of my big bugbears, marketing people who do not speak to customers in the same way that engineers don't speak to customers. 40% of tickets in call centers in IT are raised because an engineer designed the product. And I suspect another 40% are created because the marketing people who came up with the concept didn't speak to a customer either. So what would you advise anyone who has a marketing arm or is outsourcing their marketing in terms of the engagement with the customer? Yeah, I mean, the marketeers have got to speak to customers. It, it blows my mind. I've sat in with, you know, multi, with large clients, they have multi-agency sort of workshops. And it's a lot of, it's creative masturbation. I think that's a good word for yeah. it. They go, right, we're, we're creating these avatars. And, you know, when we work with the Americans are the worst. There's one big agency in San Francisco working with, and they had 40 different avatars, like, New early nesters, you know, West Coast moms. I'm like, you've just 
had a really great time of you know having donuts and coffee and made up these personas but have you actually picked up the phone and listened to these people understand exactly who they are what their pain points are what keeps them awake at night and actually getting the messaging correct i mean the way we bridge that gap is we do have a relationship with the sales arm right we speak to the sales people and say what are the most common objections like who are these people you know and just looking at sort of measuring the sales conversion rate of different leads, getting feedback, getting the way, you know, messaging that overcomes core objections, using that in the lead nurturing process. So it can, yeah, it should be overcome, but there's just that disconnect between sales and marketing. And one of the things we want to do is have an alignment because actually it's a lot more. Hallelujah. This is another thing that's really pissed me off ignoring the advice of the Buddhist mantra for happiness, never complain about anything, even to yourself. But I think this rant needs to be had. Unless everything you do is built with the customer at the heart, then uh, what's happened, and I've seen this happen over the last 30, 40 years, is the customer has become an inconvenience at the end of a long chain of abuse where marketing, sales, and SDRs, customer success for what it's worth, account management, product development, and all the ancillary services like finance and legal treat customers like shit. And buyers deserve to feel safe. They, they, they are the reason we exist. And if we do not understand the customer, what drives them, what the outcomes are that they are going to, they're paying for because they rent outcomes. They mm. don't buy products or services. No one in the history of humanity has ever said, you know, fuck me, what I really want is a Google ads campaign. It just doesn't happen. And so tell me this, in terms of how you organize your own organization in order to ensure that everything is built around the customer and delivering the outcome that they are paying for, what shifted your thinking in that direction? Making mistakes. It's interesting in the agency world, you know, we started up, there's 50 of us now, when there was just four of us. Obviously, we do our own digital marketing, but actually the best customers come through relationships. And then it's, it's, it's that thing of actually, you know, I know these people and, I, and I've, I've met them through networking and they've got me in with this company. And it's so the founders can control it initially. We've made mistakes as we've scaled because we've hired people that on the front, on the face of it, looked like A players that were customer obsessed. And actually, you know, they, they were very good at interviewing. And, you know, there's a, a brilliant book actually I recommend called Who. I don't know if you've come across it. Um, but it's, 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 yeah. it's a big study on how. Jeffrey yeah, Smart. Yes, that's the one. And it's a very simple concept. Your, your biggest problem in business, your, all your what's in business are solved by who. And actually, so it's always, for us, it's been a obsession with let's just get A players, let's pay what, we, what feels uncomfortable to us, assuming that they, you know, like we've just hired a new head of customer services. She's, you know, she's been head of client services for multiple agencies, one's much bigger than ours for 20 years. She just knows what she's doing. She's on the phone to the customers. And there is an uncomfortableness of just, you know, you're going to get some negative feedback. Like sending out an NPS score every, yeah, uh, NPS survey, sorry, every quarter is not enough, you know, because a lot of the customers are pitched off and don't even bother opening the email. You're asking them to do something. So this new head of client services picking up the phone, just listening, understanding exactly what's working, what's not, and just getting that feedback. It's it's all about creating the feedback loops, Marcus, ultimately. Well, you know, businesses don't have that. They're not getting the feedback and then not making the changes. In terms of identifying what matters to the customer, listening, really paying attention to the unvarnished, unfiltered feedback from customers, from users, 
is really key. People are scared. That's the truth. They don't want to hear it. They actually want to, they want to talk internally. And we actually had this thing at Fountain where I said, can we measure the number of minutes we spend speaking externally versus internally? And it just shocked me. We're speaking amongst ourselves. And that's great, you know, but the customer will always assume that we're not doing any work. You know, if we're having lots of lovely internal talks about their campaigns and how to make them more money and, you know, why don't we do this? We've just found some really interesting data about from their CRM about who to target next. Unless we tell them what we're doing. So I keep saying, look, just drop them a quick one-liner just to let you know, here's what we're doing today. Here's what we'll be doing. Just, and it, it sounds really absurd and obvious, but the problem is, is when people are busy, they're busy talking to each other and they're getting that sense of completion, that sense of, oh yeah, I've, I've done work. But actually all we've done is just spoke among each other and from the client's perspective, they're thinking, well, I haven't heard from my agency. They're probably working on another account today, which isn't great because actually the numbers aren't looking good today. And that's the problem. People are scared. They're scared to pick up the phone. It's easier to talk to a colleague than it is to a customer. And this is where I think it's really important to set the right kind of expectations during and at the point of sale. Because if you do not establish that clear cadence of communication with the customer, then it's very easy for them to think that you've forgotten them or that you're working on other stuff. And it's my big pet hate with partners or with clients when they don't communicate. If there's a problem, I want to know about it. I'm not worried that there's a problem. What I am frustrated by is when they go silent on me and they, they're avoiding confronting the issue. If you're speaking to the customer on a regular basis, then you move from simply being a supplier to being a trusted advisor and then moving to the real pinnacle, which is being a trusted partner. You're an integral part of their business. And they will pick up the phone to you when they have a problem. They will take your call when you phone them. Otherwise, you will just be yet another third party who's another interruption to their day. And the three words that you always have to have front and center are timely, well, four words, contextually relevant and valuable. And if every communication is intentionally those three, has those three qualities, then they will welcome your call. But the problem is that most people just phone up for, oh, I'm just checking in. I don't give a fuck that you're just checking in. Bring me some value. Otherwise, you're just an interruption. Yeah, it's it's so funny. I try and say, look, you can almost put it in a spreadsheet of like what, you know, like the way to make people happy is very simple, just exceed expectations. So the point you're saying about adding the value, but if you do something like I'm just checking in, i.e. I'm taking your precious minutes to just say nothing, then that actually, you know, <laughs> it falls below expectation. It's pretty straightforward. So I, I've said, look, you know, the first 100 days are so important with clients. So let's literally look at all of the interactions, all the touch points we have what they expect from an agency and they won't expect much because you know, the service isn't great for a lot of agencies, then how can we exceed them? How can we surprise and delight them? And especially in B2B, really, you know, selling B2B is, you know, what they want is make my life easier and make me look good at my job. You know, if we can help them with those things, generally they'll be quite happy. And then once you take those heuristics and actually listen to them, then you can find out actually, you know what, you know, this person's got a really big presentation to the main board later about the marketing. Let's send them some slides or some stats that they can just quickly import. Let's do it in their branding. They can import, or let's give them. I mean, once actually, I I, I gave someone some public speaking training. So I'm a member of Toastmasters International because they were a bit nervous before a pitch. 
I actually helped one marketing manager sift through CVs because I could just tell she was really stressed. And that wasn't what we offered to do. But I actually said to her, listen, look, you know, our job is to make your life easier. And she burst into tears and said, you're the only person in the world that, that's, that actually says that to me. I feel that everyone's just taken from me. So that's it. It's, it's, you know, in addition to making them as much profit as possible, not just money, profitable money, right? That result, if we can actually make their lives better, make them feel, you know, important, loved, improve their lives, then you've got them for life. And it's that thing you're saying, Marcus, get them to that raving fan place. And then actually when they move company, they'll take you with them. Then they'll refer to you. And of course, you know, from a sales perspective, referrals from raving fan clients always convert at sort of 90, 95%. Referrals through the internet from what I do, which is ironic because we, you know, we run Google ads, Facebook ads, they probably convert at 20% because guess what? They've, they've got referrals of a couple other agencies from trusted friends and we don't have the inside track. So let's talk about why so much digital advertising is utterly pointless. Oh, yeah. It's, I say it to people because they just assume I'm going to say, yeah, you know, digital marketing, everyone should do it. They shouldn't. They really shouldn't. So going back to the original sort of, we talked about our US. Let, let, let me just hear that again because it's music to my ears. But not everyone should do digital marketing. <laughs> Definitely not. There needs to be a business case for it. Digital marketing is a spreadsheet exercise. So before you spend a single penny, you need to actually do a competitor gap analysis and actually forecast based on your numbers. And your numbers will be your cost per acquisition. So when people come to us you know, and we say, I want more traffic. And I say, well, no, you don't really want more traffic. You want more customers. Ultimately, you want an end result. So how many customers do you want? How much do you want to pay for them? Right. Once we've got those core numbers, we can then go and say, right, where's your target audience, right? They're, and, you know, well, they're going to be somewhere in the world physically. What are they doing? They're probably looking at a screen. Okay. So where are they looking? And then we just get in front of them with creative that's interesting and useful and start getting them down the funnel. But that part of the forecasting comes in where we go, well, to get them to click on an ad costs something. Well, guess what? We know what that costs. So straight away, if I know what your cost per acquisition is, Marcus, and I know how much, you know, what the cost per click is, I can then work down and say, what are the conversion rates at each stage of the funnel from website to lead, from lead to sell? And a lot of the time to say, guys, this isn't viable. And they go, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, the cost per clicks are really high. Well, why is that? Well, there's another business that's been doing, doing digital marketing in your sector for 10 years. They've got a really tight sales and marketing funnel. Or they're happy to make a loss on the first customer because they've got a really good follow-up program. You have none of that. So actually, I don't think you should do it. Because that's the other thing. A lot of people go, I need traffic, so I'm just going to run Google ads and assume it's in a silo. But it's not. From the customer's perspective, you're one ad among a load. You're just four ads at the top of Google, and then there's organic search results. So click on each one of those and compare your landing page to theirs. And hand on heart, is yours honestly outstanding enough to convert higher than those? Because if they're not, they'll be converting at a higher percentage, which means their cost per lead's lower, which means they're already ahead of the game. And until you do that bit of due diligence beforehand, you shouldn't touch digital marketing. It's just going to waste money. Well, this is a depressing statistic that undoubtedly, given what you said, you'll back up. There are 4.3 quadrillion, that's 4,000 billion adverts that are inflicted on the unsuspecting internet user every year that get one or zero clicks. And Google, on average, has a 1.91% click-through rate. 
Facebook a 1.61% average click-through rate, and the bane of my life, programmatic, the stalker adverts that follow you around, have a 0.035% click-through rate. So unless you're doing what Marcus suggests, and you're using your brain in order to assess exactly where you should advertise, when you should advertise, and how you should advertise to deliver value to your intended audience, you fall into that category of noise. You are just an interruption. And the problem with that is much like free marketing is all the people who will never do business with you is the price you really pay. Because if I keep seeing an advert pop up that I have no interest in, I guarantee not only will I not do business with you, but I will tell other people what a bunch of tossers you are. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, I don't want to name and shame, but there is a... There's one company that is, yeah, they, they work with agencies with a bit of technology and their sales team are horrendous. Their advertising is just stalking. And I was at a networking event with an agency owner and someone said their name and it was just expletives for about half an hour about how they, 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 they hated them because they were ringing us all the time. They were, and it was just, you know, it's just, you can't annoy people. But going back to your stats, here's an interesting one. Those were the averages. But of course, anyone who looks at data knows we're in a world of disproportionality. There's the Pareto principle, which we all know. So if you look at top performing click-through rates, you know, so some of our best performing AdWords ones are sort of 11 12% click-through rate, you know, LinkedIn 15%, because it's, you know, it goes back to the fundamentals of marketing, right message, right person, right time, going back to that. And again, it's, it's people not wanting to do the fundamentals, not wanting to think, not wanting to plan. It's just... Hey, I want to be a P AdWords consultant. You know, let's let's just take money and throw it up there and see what sticks. And it annoys people. The only counter I would give about the remarketing side of things, Marcus, that we find useful is if you've got so it's a remarketing and sort of the banner ads that follow people around and so on. If someone's clicked on your on your landing page and now wasn't the right time to buy or they're still in consideration mode, what you can do is you can use those ads to tell stories. So you can you know, offer value. So click here to learn about this, or our customers have found this useful. So I don't mind following people with content if it adds value. It goes back to the, you know, the fundamental you spoke about, always be adding value, rather than just following people with the logo saying, buy now, click here. But you are the first person who has ever said that in my history. Everyone else who does remarketing just puts up adverts and tries to peddle product. But there's a very clear customer journey that people go through. My pal Bob Mester has a fabulous model and it's six stages. And stage one is making space. People make space when they realize they have a problem. And then once they've made space, they move into passive looking. Now, making space and passive looking are times where these people want to remain anonymous. They're not interested in a sales conversation. They're not interested in receiving an advert. But what they're doing is they're learning how they might solve their problem. When they move from passive to active looking, they're moving from a zone of consideration to a zone of temptation. And in the active looking, they're seeing possibilities. Then they move into the zone of deciding, and that's where they're making trade-offs. So if you think about buying a house, you might go and see 12 and then get it down to the shortlist of three. And then you're trading off 
the number of uh, bedrooms, the number of bathrooms, the number of uh, living spaces, the size of the garden, the location, the safety, the locality uh, towards schools and uh, amenities like shops, transport links and so on. And then you're left with either one or two, and then you go with your gut. But ultimately, you're making trade-offs. Then you have first use. And if the first use does not meet their expectation, then they don't make progress. What happens is the anticipated regret and blame, i.e. buyer's remorse, kicks in. um, And then you end up with people who are disgruntled and looking for ways to get out. If it does meet first use, then you start building habits through ongoing use. But again, far too often, the marketing is disingenuous. The sales process doesn't quite tell the truth. And so this is really key, which is where you need to be able to ensure that you understand the outcome that they're looking for, understand their priorities and what they value. Sorry, go ahead. The thing that comes to mind is it's just it's, it's, it's just a world of short-term thinking. Like we want to take the long view. We, I want my clients to be with me for life. I am looking at lifetime value. And if we start the relationship off with me being disingenuous, me being intrusive, me just being annoying, it's going to be so much harder, if not impossible, to get them to that place where they're a raving fan. Whereas if you just take your time, and it's the same with content. So I say to clients, I've got to get content out there. Get some, I look at it, I go, this is crap. You know, the litmus test with content is no one's going to share. Is someone going to share this yes or no? Hand on heart. The people will be really excited and go, and we've all had that experience where we've got a really nice piece of content. We've thought, bloody hell, that's useful. I'm going to send it to five colleagues. And then they're grateful because it's so fucking good. And it's funny, I've actually, I've actually studied under and spoken to people who have got viral content. And do you know what the one thing they all have in common is, Marcus? They put hundreds of hours of research in. That's it. They have teams of researchers. So to write a piece of viral content, they'll spend at least 100 hours. And what they'll do is they'll scour the internet. They'll go onto BuzzSumo and places and look at the most medium, look at the most popular articles on the internet for that topic, bring it together, get their thought leaders in a room, have almost like a seminar-style debate, and then come up with some new ideas. Because, of course, thought leadership, you know, new fresh thinking comes from a synergy of other ideas. And then they put that down, and they've, they've covered all the bases. And we're, we're currently doing that, actually, at Fountain with the big changes that are coming with first part, third-party cookies being dying, we're going to have to move to first-party data. So rather than jumping out with just a crappy article of saying, oh, it's going to be fine, or oh, it's all going to hell, we're synergizing and putting it all together, having weekly seminars of our top digital marketeers, and we're going to have a position on it. But that piece of information, that piece of content we're going to put together, that's going to be really fucking useful, and it's going to be designed in a way that's easy to understand and so on. And my point is, is that it's hard work. We're taking the long view. Because some people might say, well, Marcus, you know, Fountain's website isn't banging on about the changes to cookies. You know, you guys are behind the curve. It's like, well, we've read everyone else's data and it's shit, quite frankly. It's just one PPCer who's got an afternoon to say, go on, John, you write about what you think about cookies and we've done that bit. Well, how deep's that? How useful is that going to be for the clients? And actually, we're bringing the clients in on this. We're assessing their campaign, putting together risk audits, all of the stuff, which is just, it's being grown-ups, it's thinking long-term, it's being patient, and adding real value. And again, that's the Preto curve, right? There's really blockbuster content at the top of it. There's few and far between. And everyone else getting out content that's just good enough. And it reminds people that I exist, but doesn't actually add value. Well, my pal, Simon Bowen, who is one of the three freshest minds in sales anywhere on the planet, he talks about having four levels of seller. You have the pill pusher, 
And no one wants to spend a lot of money on aspirin. So it inevitably involves a spiral down to the lowest price. Then you have the authority. And people come to the authorities because they have a problem they want to fix. But all authorities, or the majority of authorities, sound the same. So inevitably, it becomes a commodity. And then that becomes a descent into a, a bun fight over price. Then you have the hero seller. And the hero seller has strength and people come to them for their strength because they want to be defended. Mm -hmm. And then there is a massive gap between the hero seller and the sage. And people come to the sage because they're hoping some of their smart, some of their wisdom will rub off on them. Mm -hmm. And the problem is that very few people are patient enough. You see this in capital. The best investors are patient capital. You You look at the likes of Warren Buffett, He places 20, 30-year bets. You see it in content production. People do their research. You see it in sales, salespeople who don't spend their time trying to speak to everyone. And you see it in marketing as well. These are people who intelligently think about the problem that the customer is trying to resolve. Then they do their research and they get a range of opinion. And this is another really important point. Organizations that have range within their team. And that means diversity, not only in terms of race and gender and sex and orientation and all of that, but also background and experience, socioeconomic range. They tend to come up with far more creative solutions to problems that are far more effective. Again, I see this all the time, that people live in their little bubble and their echo chamber. And that is not the place to do it. One of my favorite interviews that I've ever done on the Inquisitor podcast was with Martin Lindstrom. Now, Martin is just brilliant. Prior to COVID, he was spending about 320 days a year living in other people's homes, observing how they interacted with products, speaking to them. And one of my favorite books that he's uh, written of all time is called Small Data. It's not big data that matters. Most people are in overwhelm over the big data. They've got no idea what they're doing. And in fact, Forrester, at a dinner I went to Christmas before last, said only 7% of people who use big data are doing it well. It's the small data. It's in the little nuances. And I refer to Authentics, which is a fabulous company in the States, rapidly scaling. And all they do is they listen to the conversations in uh, US call centers in the American health system. And the impact that actually listening to the raw, unfiltered conversation between customer and the company is immeasurably powerful. Mm. But way too few people put in that time and effort because they go for what's convenient and easy, not what's difficult. And you've got to start doing difficult work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you say people live in their echo chamber. I mean, it's even basic than that. They live in their own heads. They, you know, this what's it called? Naive realism. The people think that the the way they see the world is the world, and everyone else is odd. So their benchmark is, you know, and it, and it, yeah, naive realism. Exactly that. It's it's just it's just insane to be honest with you. And I think you're entirely right that fundamentals of actually marketing and sales is to live in someone else's shoes. And beyond that, I mean, I love what Martin Nystrom's doing, actually being in their house and just observing. Because the more you observe other people, the more you realize that actually you're pretty weird. You're pretty different from them. 
And that diversity you spoke about, Mark, because that makes complete sense to me. And the big diversity in my mind is also personality types. Absolutely. You know, use disc profiling, you know, that that for me is fascinating. So I'm in the disc profile, I'm what's called an orange, or if you're going to use birds, I'm a parrot, I'm quite chatty, I'm extroverted, I have big ideas. One of my co-founders is the daughter of two accountants. She is what's known as a blue or an owl. She is very bookish and very... And when we first started business together, like she... I thought she was batshit crazy with some of her, her views. And now, actually, I realize when I've got a good idea, I need to go chat to Laura because she can see my blind spot. She can see the stuff that just is completely blind to me. And that's fascinating. You will. Uh, I'm going to get you on a conversation with Martin Lucas. Martin is the CEO and founder of a company called Gap in the Matrix. And he's developed an entirely new branch of mathematics called Irrational Mathematics. So if I observe your behavior, I might think you're batshit crazy. But to you, it's perfectly rational. And you observing my behavior, equally batshit crazy. But to me, perfectly rational. So what he's done is he's turned that into algebra and into algorithm. And it is really fascinating because what that helps to do, it's one of 24 psychological disciplines that he's integrated into the matrix in order to predict and drive human behavior. So they have effectively unlocked individual buying decision-making. So they recently did a campaign with Kia on a petrol engine MPV, where they ran out of product without discounting a single cent in a month. Now, if any of you can think of a more unsexy category in the automotive market, then I will happily give you a signed copy of my book So uh, email me and I'll tell you whether or not I think it's less uh, sexy. So I know that you have a particular passion around the environment. So let's spend a little bit of time on that. So uh, talk to me about your mission when it comes to the environment. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, you can't be data driven in one field and just ignore science and evidence in the world. And, you know, the climate crisis is the biggest challenge that humanity's ever faced. And it's make or break, you know. I mean, I think most people are happy about the science now. Ten years ago, there was still idiots saying it wasn't the case, but it's it's very obvious that you know we've dumped 1.5 trillion tons of CO2 in the atmosphere. The parts per million of carbon are ridiculously high, and we've chopped down three trillion trees, which is half all the trees. And quite frankly, you know, I don't know if you have have kids, Mark, as I do. We have to sort this out. We have, we've fouled the nest. We need to put. We should take we need to pull the carbon out, stop putting carbon in there and put the trees back and just fix the mess we've made because it it's pretty unfair. I mean, the, the Ford experiment I run is imagine had the Cold War gone the way that my parents are terrified it might. And there was, you know, a war and we lived in this sort of post-apocalyptic world. And they're trying to explain to me as a child growing up in, in the 80s, oh well, you know, it was because there are these two ideologies of communism and capitalism. I'm like, what the fuck? I, I live in utter you know, a terrible planet. And it's the same thing. I don't have that conversation with my grandchildren going, oh, no, you don't get it. You know, like, there are big problems that we were arguing about. And, you know, Trump was president. You know, we wanted to make money. And it's like, no, no, there's no excuse, really. So anyway, the thing that we're doing is we set up, I had COVID last year, quite a nasty case. And my, I was struggling to breathe for a while. And my way of making myself feel better was to plant trees using a a platform called ecology.com, which is like a Netflix subscription for the planet. It gamifies planting trees, which is really good fun. And I was planting trees every time I felt, you know, felt felt I couldn't breathe. 
And I thought, you know what, I'm going to set an ambitious goal. I'm going to plant a million trees by the time I'm 40 in four years' time, which is the equivalent of sucking down 300,000 tonnes of CO2. My footprint's about 300. So, you know, that's what I'm doing. I'm going way beyond. And then, you know, I learned watching the David Attenborough documentary that, oh, shit, we've cut down three trillion trees, which is half of all the trees. So my million looked pretty crap. So I thought, right, I'm going to get a fountain because I'm a founder to do it. And I thought, why don't I find other people to do the same? So we set up uh, on Earth Day this year, a couple of months ago, the Million Tree Pledge. And we're looking for individuals and businesses to go way beyond their carbon footprint and leave a legacy of a forest. That's the first part of the pledge. And second part, so it grows exponentially, is you have to find two other pledges. So you can't just plant a million trees and then you're done. You have to find other people. So, you know, we launched it on Earth Day. We've already got 22 pledges. And between us, we've planted two and a half million trees in the last six weeks. So it's starting to to go the way I hoped it would. Um, So that's a quick pitch for the million tree pledge. Excellent. Okay. well, that's definitely a worthwhile cause. So how can people get involved? So with that, they just go to milliontreepledge.org and just or just look me up, drop me a line on LinkedIn, Marcus Hemsley. I've got Million Tree Pledge in my job title as well as Fountain Partnership. Or if they just don't want to plant a million trees and just want to start doing something, go to ecology.com. So it's spelled ecology with an I.com. And you can, for six pounds a month, become climate positive. And that's the starting point, right? You're planting 50 trees a month and buying carbon credits and you can have a little forest and and tell your friends about it. It's just something to start doing. Excellent. So tell me this then, because it sounds like COVID was pretty tough, but I know in the preamble to this, uh, you were talking about how you're approaching burnout. How does one avoid burnout? There's a few books that I found really useful. So one is the book Essentialism. I don't know if you've come across that. Fabulous book, Greg McEwen. Again, one of my top five. Yeah. We should reading this. We should, we should compare top fives, Marcus, because we've got very similar ones. So, yeah, it's, it's doing less better. I know you talk about your Buddhist mantra. I found Taoism to be very powerful. And interesting enough, I started using a coach, a guy called Michael Neal, who's into a thing called the three principles. And it's, it's a very simple concept that actually... The external world doesn't stress you out. It's your thinking about the external world. So we're feeling our thinking. And, you know, every time you've been in a bad mood, Marcus, like, what have you done to, to get rid of it? Ultimately, it's just got rid of itself. You know, if you just give yourself space, the brain is pretty good at getting, you know, getting rid of stuff. And we have innate mental health that actually, you know, I'm a 10 out of 10 this morning, even though I've got some long-going COVID symptoms. But I'm having a cup of tea in the sunshine and just being quiet. So it's just doing less, doing less and actually trusting that by doing less, you'll have better ideas, better insights, make better decisions, thinking long term. That's a really good way of avoiding burnout. But you've just got to be ruthless. I think one of the things that Greg talks about in essentialism is relaxing is a responsibility. It's your responsibility to look after your asset of your body. And you know, you mentioned Warren Buffett earlier, the way he looks at the world is that, you know. Your body is like a car. If you could buy one car, Marcus, and you're stuck with that for the rest of your life, you're going to look after it. You're not going to rag it around. And it's the same with the body. So people know this intellectually, but actually everyone says they work hard. But it's the lazy thing is to work hard. And what I mean by that is it's easy to just keep taking calls, keep working till nine o'clock, pushing yourself. Hard work, the the road less traveled, is cancelling your meetings this afternoon and taking a fucking nap. And that's why I challenge people to do. Because the truth is, every entrepreneur I speak to say, 
Actually, you know what? When I slow down, when I go for a walk, when I'm in the shower, I have my best ideas. Well, fuck me. We'll do more of that. So the, it goes back to the point of this conversation, Marcus, is taking the road less travelled and being fucking firm and saying, look, no, I'm only working five hours a day and I'm slowing down because if I am the sort of person that's listening to this podcast, I'm always switched on to a greater or lesser extent. But the truth is about humans, the difference between humans and machines is when you press stop on humans, they actually start. Very interesting. And this then feeds into another one of my uh, core philosophies, which is that you should be intelligently lazy. I'm a huge fan of Carl von Clausewitz. Uh, he wrote a book called On War, which is the Bible for Sandhurst and West Point. And he would hire Prussian officers for high intelligence and high laziness, minimum effort, minimum loss of life. And mm-hmm. salespeople, entrepreneurs, leaders, managers should be hired for the same qualities. In essentialism, the rule is do less but better on purpose. And this is why things like planning, reflection time are really key. Rehearsal, absolutely vital. When you consider the amount of effort that goes into blowing a first meeting, you've got all the money that and time and effort and resource and opportunity costs that you've spent on marketing and buying the leads, buying the names, buying the ads, running them, then doing the follow-up, getting them into the sales funnel, and then your salespeople butcher it through lack of preparation. It's a crime. The conversion rate, and this is based on 40 million cold calls a year, so it's a very strong statistical base. The conversion rate of dial to second meeting, which means the meeting was valuable and advanced to sale, is 0.0003%. Now, if you ran any other part of your business, your finance team, your health and safety team, with that level of piss-poor management, you would literally be in jail. Why would you allow your sales and your marketing engine, which is the lifeblood of your business, to be run that poorly? It's an obscenity. Okay, Marcus, tell me this. You have a golden ticket, and you can go back and advise your idiot 23-year-old self. What choice bit of advice would you give young Marcus that he would have probably ignored? (laughs) I'm going to tell you a story that that will lead up to this. So I I heard Steve Wozniak speak a few years ago about Steve Jobs. And on his, he, he saw him a few weeks before he died, and he was reflecting, saying, you know what? I could have actually achieved everything I've achieved, you know, in my life, but being a lot less of an asshole. And actually, I mean, for me, I'm not particularly as much of an arsehole as apparently he was, but I could have, I could have, I could have enjoyed the the last 15 years so much more. I could have worried less and just stop thinking and start living. That's what I would say. And of Good course, advice. if you say, say fuck off, you know, whatever, I'm, I'm going to do what I want to do and all the rest of it. But yeah, that's it. What would you recommend people read, watch, or listen to then? Okay, so we should compare our top five, Marcus, uh, books of all time because, you know, two of them are already matching. So, yeah, okay, top top of it is The Road Less Stupid. Keith Cunningham, fabulous book. Yeah, we've got uh, Essentialism. Greg McEwen, also amazing book. Have you come across Multipliers? Oh, I haven't, no. Oh, this is good. So this 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 is by Liz Wiseman. This isn't some guru saying, I know how to be amazing. She's studied 1,500 leaders in Silicon Valley. Half of them are what's known as multipliers, so people who 
raise the collective IQ of the room who make people perform incredibly well. And the other half of what she calls diminishers. And I've been guilty of being a diminisher, of being the smart guy in the room who talks over his employees and has all the answers and lowers the collective IQ. And reading this has really changed my life because I realized that leadership is about putting other people on stage. There's no point in me reading all this personal development and being great in myself if I'm not helping others become the best versions of themselves as well. So I, I say that to business leaders all the time, that it's actually the real reward. And obviously you've helped me in the past, Marcus, you know, the real reward you get is when you've changed someone's life with some advice or helping them be the best person they can be. So that's a big one as well. Ray Dalio's principles, of course. Absolutely. Top five. Top five. What's, I, I'm trying to think what my other top one of the top five would be. It's probably a, a classic, like How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Because every time I go back to that book, I think, shit, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not thinking about other people enough. <laughs> so that always helps me obsess about the other people that I'm around and what's going on for them and getting out my, my head. Two others I would add to that. Just Listen by Mark Goulston. Ooh, I haven't heard that one. It's a must read. Anyone, if, if you're part of the species, it's a must read but particularly if you're a manager or a leader. And Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. Absolutely fabulous book. And it's a hard read. It's a really hard read. But it opens your eyes to the importance of understanding how you respond to the world uh, really determines your outcome. And um, his story is harrowing in the extreme, but it is really worth every. It really is. It actually, actually gave me nightmares. It's sort of, but the, the thing I took from it, Marcus, is exactly that. He talks about that small gap that you have, that small window of time when something rises in you, some anger or frustration or negative emotion, that gap to actually recognize and let it go rather than just let it overtake you. And I guess the thing we talk about slowing down is increasing that gap a little bit so we can catch it. There's a fabulous exercise that I always teach people. So the Buddhist mantra for happiness is never complain about anything, even to yourself. And that means even in thought. So you take an index card and whatever day of the week is, that's the first column. And then you tally every time you whine, moan, bitch, grumble, complain, or judge. And it raises your awareness level so fast. And you can then start to recognize the trigger that causes you to react instead of respond. And it's an incredibly powerful exercise and you will be, you will be happier within a week. And don't watch the news as the other choice uh, bit of advice because it's full of fucking misery. The whole principle of the news, drama, reality TV and uh, soap operas is okay, not okay. For you to feel more okay about yourself you need to find someone more not okay than yourself. The news is just basically misery porn. So you can watch it and say, thank God that's not me or mine. Yeah, I honestly, you know what? I stopped watching it when I got COVID because I didn't want to see people struggling to breathe when I was. And it's the best thing I've ever done. I haven't felt this happy for a very long time, the last year of not. And you know what? I, I thought, oh, I need to be informed. But I, I, it's like big stories. Why? Yeah, why? why? But I, it's funny, I kind of know what's going on, but I'm not inundated and I'm not having to deal with sort of clickbait headlines that press the reptilian part of my brain and release a lot of negative emotion of, you know, push me into fight or flight. I'm not, I'm not playing that game because, you know, well, I'm protecting the asset. In all honesty, how is it going to help you to find out whether or not 
there is an uprising in Belarus. Yes, you're going to get, you're going to find out about it because it'll be in certain feeds and you might follow it. But the reality is you don't need to know that stuff. And um, the consumption of that kind of misery is utterly detrimental. And it takes your mind off important stuff that you can actually do something about. Completely. I mean, I, I talk to my guys about how they spend their minutes. And I think it's so true. It's like and that even if it's, oh, it's just five minutes on the news, it never is. And then the, the sort of the impression that leaves on you, that negative emotion, just clouds. It's a hangover. It yeah, it is a hangover. It's a and, hangover. Uh, and the other thing is um, Mark Goulston is one of my mentors, and he taught me a very valuable principle, which is let go or be dragged. If you cannot let go of stuff, then what you will do is you will reach back repeatedly into your history and drag the misery into the present. And the person who pissed you off, or you chose to be pissed off by, rather, probably isn't even thinking of you at that time. And the only person suffering is you. So attachment, and this is where the Buddha got it right. Attachment is the root to all misery. Learn to let go of attachment. If I were to go back, I think that would be one of the most important bits of advice uh, that I'd give my 23-year-old self. I love that. I wrote it down. Let go or be dragged. I think that's just, that's so true. Excellent. Marcus, how can people get hold of you? Yeah, so uh, fountainpartnership.co.uk is the website. Feel free to add me on LinkedIn. I, I normally I only have people that I accept once I've met them. So I normally just drop me a message and we'll, we'll tee up a, a, a Zoom call and we'll get to know each other and see what your challenges are and how I might be able to help. So Marcus Hemsley on LinkedIn or fountainpartnership.co.uk. Thank you, Marcus Hemsley. Thank you, Marcus. So this is Marcus Kauke signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you found this useful, then please find a friend and share it with them. In the meantime, if you want to get hold of me, then DM me on LinkedIn or email me, marcus at laughs In the meantime, stay safe and happy selling. Bye-bye.